from the heart of our nation's capital. Here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening and welcome to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, Senior Advisor to the President of the Family Research Council. And I'm pleased to be sitting in for Tony on this Monday edition of the program and want to thank each of you for joining me as we observe Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Coming up on the program today, he said what Donald Trump did was careless. I'm sorry. He said what Donald Trump did was careless. Does he have to eat those words considering what happened with him? Well, it's certainly embarrassing, right? Embarrassing. That was Senator Debbie Stabenow yesterday on NBC's Meet the Press with Chuck Todd after yet another cache of classified documents turned up at the president's Delaware home over the weekend. U.S. Congressman Bob Good of Virginia will join me shortly to discuss this ongoing story. And did you know that in addition to honoring Dr. Martin Luther King today, we also celebrate National Religious Freedom Day? Congressman Good will provide some of his thoughts on that issue as well. Also, I'm honored to in, uh, continue my discussion in introducing to you new members of Congress. Today, I want to introduce you to Joshua Burkeen from Oklahoma. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on a number of things, but among those, the White House has claimed that the president's economic plan is working. And perhaps you saw this. Last Friday, the Supreme Court agreed to hear the case of Gerald Groff. He's a Christian postal worker who objected to working on Sundays. And on this National Religious Freedom Day, I'll speak with Stephanie Taub from, Liberty, from First Liberty Institute, which is representing Groff in that particular scenario. And just as the civil rights era saw horrific attacks on churches, we all know that we continue to see violence against places of worship in the current era. Well, how should Christians respond? The Family Research's Council, Ariel Del Turco and uh, Dean Nelson will join me in a little bit to discuss those developments. And just a reminder, if you can find details of this show, uh, always you can find details of this and past episodes at TonyPerkins.com. So just keep in mind, if you miss any part of today's program, uh, you can find it right there on the website, TonyPerkins.com. And don't miss the chance to get your copy of Tony's new book. This is an amazing book. It's called Jeremiah, Courage in a Cancel Culture. What a topic that we all need to hear about these days. It's a 40-day study guide that unpacks lessons from Jeremiah's bold stance for truth, as well as the Lord's warnings about judgment, and is filled with some of the most hope-filled promises in all of the Bible. So jumpstart your faith today by texting Jeremiah to 67742, 67742. All right, let's get on with the program today. U.S. Attorney General Merrick uh, Garland's appointment of a special counsel to investigate President Biden's handling of classified documents literally continues to royal Washington, D.C., and many are, in fact, asking if there's a double standard that exists when you compare the treatment now to that of former President Trump. Republicans have certainly vowed to launch investigations, even as special counsel Robert Herr begins his own work on the matter. A lot of political wrongdoing does not necessarily result in a crime, but it's still wrong. 
and the public needs to understand exactly what happened. That was Senator Ron Johnson yesterday on NBC's Meet the Press expressing his support for Congress to have access to all the information so that they can do their job of oversight. So uh, what can we anticipate next? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is U.S. Representative Bob Good. He served on the House Committee on Education and Labor, as well as the House Budget Committee. He represents the 5th Congressional District of Virginia. Congressman Good, welcome back to Washington Watch, my friends. Great to have you with us. Great to be with you, Jody. Great to see you by video. Congratulations on your new assignment, my friend. Well, thank you so much. Listen, let's get into this. As we all know, another cache of classified documents have turned up at the president's Delaware home over the weekend. Uh, what's your initial reactions to all of that? Well, it's incredible, Jody. This was discovered uh, before the election. And, of course, we wait two months to find out because of a CBS report that this has happened. Uh, there's a lot that we don't know, except we continue to find, as you said, caches of uh, information and, and top secret, even, we're told, documents uh, that have been taken home by the previous vice president with no authority to do that, no authority to declassify that, of course. And there's a lot that we don't know. We're not getting answers on why were his lawyers the ones that were finding this information, these documents? Uh, is this a residence that Hunter Biden resided at while these classified documents were there? We know how compromised he is with our foreign adversaries. So there's so much that we don't know. And, of course, the Democrats say it's different just because uh, Donald Trump is bad and Joe Biden is good. And Donald Trump, you know, meant it for nefarious purposes and Joe, Joe Biden didn't. We're supposed to accept that at face value. But I'm thankful that a lot of public pressure was applied to Merrick Garland for him to appoint the special counsel, as you noted. Yeah, you bring up a great uh, point there. Uh, there appears to be a significant double standard in the response to President Biden's handling of classified documents versus the uh, former President Trump, how he was treated. Uh, would you agree with that, that there, there's a double standard? What do you think is going on here? Just the fact that we didn't have a, you know, an early morning raid of President uh, Biden's home with 30 FBI agents. Here you had President Trump, who had Secret Service guarding his home. His documents were as secure as they could possibly be uh, at a private residence. He has, obviously, the authority as the former president to declassify information, had that authority. He was working to release what the government was interested in getting back. Totally different than the way that this has leaked out drip by drip by drip on the Biden uh, fiasco here. And time will only tell what is among those top secret documents. You know, Jody, if there was anything really concerning about what they've uh, discovered at President Trump's home, then we would know about it. And of course, there's been no reporting about the contents of the documents that were recovered from President Trump's home that he would have willingly surrendered, was in the process of doing so without the theater of this raid. Very different treatment for Joe Biden. Yeah, you're exactly right. The theater of the raid, I think, is a perfect description of what took place. And as you said, absolutely nothing has come out of what those uh, classified documents consisted of. And now we have the White House press secretary continually uh, to claim that the administration has been and continues to be transparent. But all the while, she continues to dodge every question and, and even repeat the same lines over and over. And I'm, I'm struck by the fact that even much of the legacy media no longer is ignoring it, any of this. In fact, here's what CNN political commentator Scott Jennings said yesterday on CNN's State of the Union. Yeah, I, I agree uh, that they're appear to be cooperating now, but that's because, that's because they, got, they have no choice. They got caught. What they're not being is transparent. And every day they run the White House press secretary out there to tell us they're being transparent, that it's been completed, whatever. And then the next day, 
we find out something else. This is this is totally politically neutralized. This and everybody knows it. Uh, that's stunning to me, uh, Congressman. I mean, when you have CNN reporters saying that this administration is not being transparent, uh, that is really shocking to listen to. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, this administration, especially the spokesperson who's clearly unqualified, just continue to embarrass themselves with the way that they're trying to handle this. Uh, you know, the timing of it is interesting. You wonder if it is time for the, the Democrat Party, the Democrat establishment, their compliant media has finally uh, decided they don't want Joe Biden going into the 24 election. He's obviously diminished. You know, is it more concerning that he literally doesn't know what's in his possession? He's forgotten. You know, it took him 50 years in government to find the southern border. Is it surprising that it would take him a while to find classified documents in his home? Is that supposed to be comforting that he didn't know or... Or is he just being dishonest that he did know about it? But think how much more diminished he will be two years from now. So perhaps the compliant media, the Democrat establishment, is finally ready to jettison him from the ticket. And they don't want him to be the nominee, and that's why this information is coming out now. Excellent point. Excellent point. Well, if I can transition uh, just a, a little bit, today, of course, is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, but it is also Religious Freedom Day. Uh, and it's coming at a time when so many of our religious institutions are under attack. Uh, so just generally speaking, what are your thoughts as we come to this day of Religious Freedom Day? Well, appreciate the way that FRC is on the front lines there, Jared, Jody, and fighting the fight for religious freedom here in America and around the world. That is arguably the most precious of freedoms. You know, that's why it's in our First Amendment protections, the freedom of speech and the freedom of religion. For most people of faith, their most important thing is their faith and their, willing, their ability to worship freely, to express that freely. And here in America, you know, never, never in the history of the world has a country evangelized more people, ministered to more people, fed more people, rescued more people, promoted religious freedom around the globe like the United States. But it's under assault like never before under this Biden administration. As you know, we're fighting it uh, every day on the House floor. We're fighting it uh, across the country. And so what, what better thing to recognize than the importance of religious freedom? Well, it, it really is. And you really mentioned some of the, the heartbeat, the uh, epicenter, if you will, for religious freedom is uh, being able to express those uh, beliefs out in the public square. But I was uh, kind of shocked. I don't know if you saw or heard this, but a video message that was released on social media in honor of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. But a Vice President Kamala Harris essentially listed abortions as among the core things that people should have uh, in, in addition to freedom to assemble or freedom to worship or freedom to vote. She made abortions part of it. Listen to this. Let us continue to protect and strengthen our most sacred freedoms, the freedom to organize, the freedom to worship, the freedom to make decisions about one's own body and the freedom that unlocks all the others, the freedom to vote. Wow. So the freedom to have abortion, according to Vice President Kamala Harris, is part of the First Amendment. I mean, come on. <laughs> Congressman Good, what do you think about that? Well, the Democrat Party, sadly, today, you know, it's not our parents and our grandparents' Democrat Party. As you know, it's the party of death, the party that celebrates abortion, doesn't even want to recognize uh, that you ought to have to save a baby who survives an abortion attempt. As you know, we got one Democrat to vote for that. Uh, in the House uh, last week. 
when we had the Born Alive Protection Act. We only had three Democrats vote to condemn violence against crisis pregnancy centers. It's really incredible where they've went so extreme on that, uh, Jody, where they essentially want more abortions anytime, any reason, and you get, you have to pay for it with your taxpayer dollars to pay for their abortions. Uh, they want to promote abortion in, in, in around the globe. They want to fund abortion around the globe. At the same time, as they, they, they don't believe in bodily freedom, if you will, if your uh, decision on whether or not to receive a vaccine that you may not want or you may not need, uh, but they certainly trumpet the, the, as freedom uh, the ability to kill an innocent, precious life in the womb. Is it surprising to you that so few Democrats uh, virtually none. I, I believe you said one voted for born alive to protect a baby that's actually born alive after a botched abortion and Democrats unwilling for the most part, except for a few uh, to stand up for churches that have experienced violence. Is this surprising to you? It's not, Jody, because, as you know, I'm from Virginia, where our own governor just a, three or four years ago said on a, a radio broadcast, and this is a pediatrician, uh, Former governor, thankfully, former governor Ralph Northam said on a broadcast, as you know, that if a baby survives an abortion attempt, the mother and the doctor should have a conversation while they, quote, keep the baby comfortable and decide what to do with it. And we had no Democrats criticize him for saying that. No Democrats at all, because, again, they don't believe that they don't even want to recognize that abortion is wrong at any time for any reason, that there's any moral component to it. Uh, they just want to fund more of it. They want to celebrate it. They want to spread it across the globe. They want to punish you if you stand against uh, abortion or you stand for life. Congressman, I've got to run. But listen, Congressman Bob Good, thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. Great to have you. I'll be with you, Jody. Thank you. Coming back, we'll introduce new members of the 118th Congress. Stay tuned to Washington Watch. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. 
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, filling in today for Tony. And like I did last week, I'd like to introduce to you some new members of the 118th Congress Individuals who campaigned on issues that we support. Uh, One such member is U.S. Representative Josh Burkeen. He served in the Oklahoma State Legislature from 2010 to 2018 and consistently obtained one of the most conservative voting records, and he kept his promise to serve only for eight years. He now represents the 2nd Congressional District of Oklahoma, Congressman Burkeen, uh, welcome to Washington Watch, and welcome to Congress. Thank you. Well, listen, let's uh, begin. One of the things that I'm doing right now is introducing to our uh, listeners and our viewers some new members of Congress who share our values. And so if you would take a moment to share with our viewers and listeners, uh, how did God lead you to run for office? Well, I uh, left the state legislature in 2018 and felt uh, prayerfully led to uh, start a a small business, a a dozer excavator trucking type business. Um, And it was a a place of of, um, learning to a whole new level just how much government intrusion in the free market can can really cause you problems. Uh, If anyone listening has has a USDOT number, uh, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And so I, I spent uh, years experiencing the burden that's placed upon everybody else. It kind of goes in line with a, a founding father comment, George Mason, and, and who believed in term limits. And within the midst of, of several years of, of doing that post-legislative experience, I really felt the burden to get back involved in, in public policy. And, and so begin to prayerfully consider starting a family policy uh, alliance in Oklahoma uh, that uh, used to be focused on the family, and now it's FPA. And then uh, that uh, was kind of a two-year discussion. And ultimately, when this seat came open, my wife and I uh, took it to prayer and and felt like this was, was, was where the Lord was leading us. And I filed three hours before the filing deadline, uh, 14th out of 14 people to file. And... And I can say that it really is like the turtle on the on the fence post that you'd see out in the pasture and say, how did that happen? And you know it didn't happen by by him by himself. Well, that's awesome. And we're all grateful that it did happen. Josh, we want you to know that yeah, you've had now uh, what was probably one of the most historic weeks ever 
to begin a new Congress, as we saw the Speaker of the House election showdown, uh, that eventually led to some exceedingly much-needed House rules reform. Uh, what's your reaction to all of that, your first week? Well, it was intense. There's no doubt about that. It was it was a place where I was really uh, reeling upon Psalms 107. And Psalms 107 talks about he they cried out to the Lord in their distress, and he led them by a straight way. And so I was, in, you know, day two, day three, day four, um, really uh, putting it as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, to lean not on your understanding. I knew that, that conscience was saying it was the right thing to do to get structural reform and, and make the Congress deliberative again. I think it's a shock for most people to realize since 2016, not a single floor-derived amendment had been allowed on the floor. And that's not, that's not uh, rep- representative uh, governance. That's more uh, tyrannical when, when nine super legislators determine what gets on the floor of Congress in terms of amendments. And so I knew it was right, and uh, I'm so glad, uh, thankful that we had a good result. Well, it was uh, just an amazing battle, and we are so grateful. I think it really has changed the landscape of the way Congress is going to operate. You know, last week the Biden administration celebrated the uh, latest inflation numbers and claimed uh, as a result that the president's plan is actually working. In fact, I have a clip here from White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre. I'd like for you to listen to this and get your reaction to it. When you see inflation down for six months, uh, that that matters, right? That's because of the president's economic plan. When you see annual inflation down 6.5% from where it was this summer, just this summer at 91.1%, uh, gas prices down by by uh, about more than a buck seventy uh, per from from its peak. All of that matters. And so that's how we're seeing this. We're seeing it as the president's economic plan is indeed working. The president's economic plan is working. We have nothing to fear. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I wish my wife could, could be here in this moment and talk about the, the cost of a dozen eggs right now. Um, I, I think it's it's interesting to to be taking credit for three times the normal rate of inflation where, where we were just four times the normal rate of inflation just this summer. I, I think... Um, it's wrongheaded to be celebrating three times the rate of normal inflation at 2% at 6.5. And, and so it just really shows you, I mean, theater is, is evident in politics. It's, it's just spin. And so we've got to turn this country around. The government's not creating jobs and, and it's the free market unleashed in our nation once again that can, can turn our economy around. And if we can get bureaucracy and government out of the way. I've got another clip I want you to hear and get your reaction to. Earlier this morning, President Biden said uh, this regarding the economy. He was at the National Action Network's MLK Junior Day breakfast, and this is what he had to say. Two years ago, our economy was on its back, flattened its back. People were hurting, particularly minority communities. Black Americans and other people of color were disproportionately hit. And Kamala and I and our administration acted decisively with the help of people in this room, to not only rescue the economy from a pandemic downturn, but to lay the foundation for a stronger and more resilient and more equitable economy for decades to come. All right, real quickly, your reaction to that comment. (laughs) He's living in an alternative universe compared to, to, I think, what the normal person's experience. And ask him two years ago where the economy was at compared to where it is today. 
anybody who's, who's gone to the grocery store and, and shopping knows this. Go into a convenience store, and while my kids say, hey, can I have a, a bag of beef jerky? And my response is, not at that price. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good reaction to it. Listen, we've got about uh, 30 seconds or so. Uh, Josh, again, thank you for joining us. How can people pray for you? Well, I, you know this as a former member of Congress, the pressure and the, uh, you know, just the amount of intensity that you live in for our families, that we would be uh, good, good uh, spouses, that our spouses would feel cherished, that our children would feel loved, and and that at the end of the day, when when you know all of this, the titles go away, that people would look and and say that person represented Christ in that position, and and that's that's we're all doing. of us, regardless of what position life we're in. Josh Burkeen, thank you for joining us, and welcome to Congress. Here in just a few moments, we're going to talk about a Supreme Court decision to hear a case. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, Senior Advisor to the President at the Family Research Council. Last Friday, the Supreme Court agreed to hear an important discrimination claim brought by Gerald Groff. He's a Christian postal employee in Pennsylvania who was forced to work on Sundays. And Groff worked as an auxiliary mailman and uh, initially was not required to make Sunday deliveries. But all of this changed in 2015 when Amazon packages uh, began to be required to be delivered on Sundays, and eventually this led to Groff's resignation. So the ramifications for religious freedom in this case uh, are potentially enormous. Joining me now to discuss this is Stephanie Taub. She's a senior counsel with First Liberty Institute. 
which is the organization uh, defending this case before the Supreme Court. Stephanie, thank you for joining us today on Washington Watch. We appreciate you coming on. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on to talk about this very important case. Well, it really is an extremely important case. And in fact, you've, uh, you've got to be gratified that the Supreme Court has decided to hear this case. Oh, absolutely. The Supreme Court only takes one to two percent of cases um, that where people ask them to take the case. And here, this case has the potential to protect religious freedom in the workplace for countless workers across the country. So, for we can, this case is asking for the court to provide meaningful religious accommodations to people of faith, and it'll impact people who work at so many corporations, so many. Um, so not just government employers, but private employers as well across the country. That's huge. And I, I want to get back to that uh, because that's an extremely important case you just brought up. Uh, but, but let me just throw this in here real quickly. Uh, you know, I, I go back and I think of Coach Kennedy's appeal uh, to pray f uh, after high school football games. And, of course, that was decided in his favor last year. Uh, just real quickly, your opinion, is the Supreme Court opening the door for uh, greater clarification and freedom as it relates to religious liberty? Absolutely. And the Coach Kennedy case was one in a series of religious liberty cases that the Supreme Court has been taking. And they haven't been shy about overturning um, or about revisiting, reconsidering cases that have had disastrous effects um, throughout the country. So here, for instance, there is a case from the 1970s that really gutted the employment protections for religious employers or for religious employees. And so now we're asking this court, this is the opportunity to reconsider that case and make sure that religious employees, religious freedom is respected in the workplace. Well, it's got to be respected in the workplace. You know, the First Amendment is not written just for churches or nonprofit organizations or that type of thing. It's written for individuals. It's written for, for everyday people. So Let's go back into uh, what, what you were just explaining, some of the broader implications, if you will, uh, for religious accommodations. If this case is successful, uh, what kind of ramifications will this have? Absolutely. This could impact so many different people of faith and their ability to request religious accommodations. And more importantly, the duty of employers to take those requests seriously. So over the past few years, we've seen so many requests for religious accommodations and employers have not always taken their requirements um, with the level of seriousness that they should. And so here, this is the chance to restore, return the law to what it's to what, how it's written, to restore religious liberty. So we're asking the Supreme Court to return us to a standard that is pro-employee, that is pro-people um, of faith. You know, as a former member of Congress, we used to have complaints frequently from uh, individuals who, in their workplace, uh, be it in schools or uh, similar to Gerald Groff, wherever it may be, we're experiencing discrimination based upon their faith. And I'm sure you hear these type of situations over and over and over. What happened to Gerald Groff is not an isolated incident. These things were happening all across the country. What would you say to those individuals who right now feel as though, man, they're going through the same type of stuff that Gerald Groff has been going through? 
Well, I'll say stay tuned. It's a really good sign that the Supreme Court has taken this case. They're looking into this issue and they will take it very seriously. So we're expecting oral arguments uh, later this year and then a decision in June. So please watch for that. You can follow us at firstliberty.org where you can find out updates about this case and all of our other cases. Okay, so let's go through the timeline here. The oral arguments, What? just walk people through what's going to happen. Absolutely. So over the next couple of months, we're going to be briefing the case, and then there'll be oral arguments in around April, and then we'll expect a decision um, probably around June before the court takes off on summer recess. Okay. Now, you've had a lot of experience with uh, a number of different cases, and seeing the mood uh, right now of the Supreme Court, what do you, what's your kind of gut feeling as to where this is going to move? Well, I'm pretty optimistic. We've seen um, several of the justices in recent years uh, write opinions saying, maybe it's time we take a look at this particular issue. And so now they've decided that this is the case, this is the time, and we are so hopeful that they're going to restore religious liberty in the marketplace. And how can people be praying for you in this case right now? So please pray for strength for Gerald. Um, and pray for all of the attorneys that are going to be working on, on this case. Pray for the justices that they will have clarity and will make the right decision for liberty for all of us. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us this evening on Washington Watch and for the incredible work you do. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. All right, friends, coming up, we're going to continue the discussion on both Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and National Religious Freedom Day. All these extremely important. We don't want you to miss a single bit of it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this break here on Washington Watch. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. 
Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch on this Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. edition of the program. And just a reminder, there is still time to sign a petition to tell CVS and Walgreens to scrap their plans to turn their pharmacies into abortion businesses. You can join this effort by texting PHARMACY to 67742. That's PHARMACY, P-H-A-R-M-A-C-Y, to 67742. And once you do that, uh, you'll get a link to sign the petition, and we encourage you to do so. So on this day, as we both honor Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and recognize Religious Freedom Day, I'm reminded that just last month, the Family Research Council released a report showing that attacks on American churches, catch this, attacks on American churches increased by almost 300% from 2018 to 2022. And these incidents included vandalism, arson, Uh, gun-related incidents, bomb threats, uh, and so many more. And as we consider the shameful violence against churches throughout the civil rights era, uh, we've got to recognize and remember that our churches today also remain a target. Joining me now to discuss this is the author of that report I mentioned, Ariel Del Turco. She's the assistant director at the Center for Religious Liberty at the Family Research Council Ariel, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you for all the amazing work that you do. Good to be with you. Well, thank you so much. All right, for those who perhaps missed the report that we were just referencing, uh, provide the viewers and listeners with a thumbnail sketch of your report. Yeah, so we looked at the last five years from January 2018 to September of 2022, Uh, to identify acts of hostility against churches. So that's vandalism, it's arson, uh, it's any variety of gross things that we don't want to see happening against churches. And sadly, we found that they were on the rise Uh, in 2020, just from January to September. There was nearly triple the amount of incidents that there were in 2018. So this is a very disturbing trend. And one thing we noticed was that it tends to be tied to politics sometimes, especially this past summer, uh, around the time that the Supreme Court issued the Dobbs decision. Uh, We saw a spike in acts of hostility against churches. Many of them were specifically abortion-related. So this is something that's deeply disturbing. It really is. I mean, when you look at the the graph there and listen to the comments you're making, uh, 420 acts of hostility against churches 
uh, from 2018 to 2022. I, and, and that's pretty much all across the United States, correct? I mean, these are not isolated regions. Yes, they occurred across 45 states plus Washington, D.C., so it's very widespread. Very widespread. And then you add what happened just in the past recent months, uh, uh, multiple, multiple uh, acts of hostility uh, from the pro-abortion groups across the, the country against churches uh, just between January and, and September of this year. Uh, so how do, how do you compare and contrast the recent church attacks with those, say, of the civil rights era? Well, the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s, it faced a lot of opposition uh, in the most violent or one of the most violent attacks against the civil rights movement uh, was a bombing against a historically black church, majority black church, uh, where four girls died, a 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. So while we don't see that level of violence uh, in the U.S. against churches today, uh, there are still many attacks against uh, black churches. They include vandalism. Uh, but in our report, we identified three churches that were uh, set on fire. So these are very serious incidences. And it's something that Americans should be able to unify on. Uh, we should be able to say together that violence against churches has no place in America. Well, Ariel, if you can, stay, stay tuned. Just hang on here uh, for a few moments. I think we've got... Uh, Dean Nelson joining us as well, uh, and Dean uh, is is a, an amazing leader as well. Uh, serves as a senior fellow at the Family Research Council, uh, and uh, Dean, are are you with us? Yes, sir. Great to be with you, Jody. Thanks so much. Well, listen. Thank you so much as well. And I, the the work that you do. Uh, Dean has just been amazing, and we are grateful for your role here at uh, Family Research Council. You, you, you serve uh, specifically in the African American Affairs here at FRC, and you're also the chairman of the Douglas Leadership Institute, which has just been a remarkable uh, work that you've been involved with. But let's let's get into this a little bit further. Ariel was just sharing with us about the rise in attacks against churches across the country. Of course, today is Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Day, but also National Religious Freedom Day. Uh, but as we get into this conversation a little bit further, just your basic thoughts. Where were we then with Martin Luther King Jr.? Where are we now, specifically as it relates to attacks on churches? Yeah, when uh, I heard in that segment earlier about the 16th Street Baptist Church that was bombed with those four little girls were killed back in the day. Uh, I remember the fact that Jody, a friend of yours and mine, uh, Alveda King, uh, her dad was a minister there at that church, and she uh, was friends with some of those same little girls. And uh, today she penned a great uh, op-ed talking about the love uh, that was always emphasized by Dr. King and those who were leaders in the civil rights movement. And I think that uh, it is shameful in any generation to see attacks on churches, regardless of uh, whether they are, you know, of what that one denomination or a, you know, particular, you know, ethnic group or not. Um, but I think that it is important that FRC has done this report, and I'm pleased to say that there have been many uh, black churches and organizations that have highlighted this report because we want to make sure that we put uh, some pressure on uh, uh, our elected officials uh, and law enforcement officers to make sure that something is being done about it. 
Absolutely. And you, you mentioned the uh, 16th Street uh, Baptist Church bombing, a horrible incident. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, obviously we saw attacks on black churches in the South during the civil rights era. Uh, and now we're watching yet another upswing in attacks in our current era. Uh, you, you are a historian, uh, uh, among other things. What do you make of all of this? Yeah, you know, I think that what uh, Ariel said at the uh, top of this segment is important. It seems that when there is um, greater uh, political unrest, there tends to be more of this type, these type of attacks. Um, but the thing that's um, puzzling to me is um, this past summer when we've had the James Revenge, where we've had pro-abortion advocates that have gone to the streets and done this type of activity, um, for whatever reason, it seems like in some cases they've they've targeted churches that may not even be involved. I, I saw earlier this year, it's strangely enough, that there were attacks on the historic uh, Ebenezer Baptist Church, uh, which is actually pastored by uh, Raphael Warnock, who is a pro-abortion pastor. So it's very odd uh, in terms of the tactics that some of these things, some of these groups are are making. But regardless of the, the the motivation, I think that it is important for all of us to be aware, to work with local law enforcement, to encourage churches to prepare themselves and to have good conversations to see if we can help to de-escalate some of this uh, violence that is, um, you know, being perpetrated on uh, on churches across the country. And, and I might add also on uh, pro-life pregnancy centers, which we also have seen. Yes, we certainly have the pro-life uh, pregnancy centers, pregnancy resource centers have just, uh, it's been unbelievable what's taken there, what's taken place there, and still, at least to my knowledge, not a single arrest uh, for any of those. And yet you, you come to, uh, you mentioned Jane's revenge. As I recall, I mean, we, uh, in fact, some of our viewers were actually able to see, uh, those who uh, allegedly committed the crimes were videoed. Well, we have pictures of these people and still no arrest. Uh, what, what, what's going on? I mean, it, are we entering an era that has a two tier justice system, a, a, uh, it's if you're a, of the left, you're okay if you commit a crime, but not so if you're on the right. I mean, give me, give me your thoughts on why there have been no arrests in spite of the fact we have pictures of these people. Yeah, Jody, I think that there is a double standard right now. Uh, we can't get really any help or support from uh, really from the mainstream media on these issues. Uh, we can't get a whole lot of support uh, even in some of our, uh, uh, you know, elected bodies. I mean, we just had this past week, some of your uh, colleagues and friends uh, offered a resolution uh, last week to uh, support uh, pregnancy resource centers. And uh, we really don't get the support uh, from uh, those that are uh, on the other side of the aisle. But I do think that we do have an opportunity, uh, particularly when we've had a disproportionate number of African-American churches uh, that have been attacked. Uh, a good friend uh, of FRC, um, uh, uh, the former pastor Herb Lusk in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I was there in the city of Brotherly Love earlier. Uh, his church was attacked. Uh, I've seen some other churches that have been uh, attacked, but I think that with their voice, perhaps we can get this administration, and we've always already seen a little bit 
uh, of movement with uh, with President Biden, uh, at least giving uh, lip service, at least to this. And maybe that we'll have the Justice Administration or the Justice Department that will actually take some aggressive action. Um, I'm hopeful of that. And we're certainly willing to work in a bipartisan way with anybody to really stand up and to protect churches. Absolutely. And, you know, it all starts with lip service. I mean, actions come out of commitments that come from the mouth. So, you know, I agree with you. Hopefully this is the beginning of a move in the right direction. You mentioned a few moments ago that much of the violence, and Ariel actually mentioned this as well, uh, seems to be coming from political motivations. uh, And that in itself is disturbing. Certainly we're seeing uh, the current wave in violence uh, seems very much uh, absolutely related to the Dobbs decision. Uh, do you think this also represents something bigger in our society, uh, a disrespect for God, a disrespect for churches, a disrespect for law? Is there something bigger going on here besides just politics? You know what? When we live in a society that has demonstrated disregard for the sanctity of human life, uh, why do we think that people would have regard for for laws and other things. If we can't get a group of people to understand that we're trying to protect innocent human beings uh, in the womb, then I'm not surprised that they would resort to this kind of uh, violence um, and attacks on churches. I believe that the church has a great opportunity to demonstrate the love of Christ uh, based on the, the tenets and the principles of Jesus and certainly um, exemplified during the civil rights movement. I think that we have an opportunity to demonstrate uh, love in the midst of the hostility, not backing down on our principles, but standing for righteousness and justice. And hopefully we'll be able to uh, to gain some adherence to uh, to our cause in that effort. Absolutely. Uh, I bet, you know, these, these criminal acts of vandalism, uh, destruction of church property, uh, all of these really is what you're leading to are, are symptomatic of a collapse in society towards uh, respect for God, for the law, uh, houses of worship, religion as a whole. Uh, and it really underscores the spiritual nature of the problem that we're involved in. And we, we've got to have uh, churches and houses of faith stand up to this battle and, as you described, in love, uh, push back effectively. And, you know, that's uh, one of the missions here at FRC that I know you know well. Uh, But I I wanted to turn your attention uh, in a a statement for Religious Freedom Day today. Uh, President Biden brought up his uh, uh, United We Stand Summit. Uh, But during that summit, he made the following statement. I'd like to play this and get your reaction to it. We need to say clearly and forcefully white supremacy, all forms of hate, fueled by violence, have no place in America. Fair to call it out is complicity, my dad would say. If your silence is complicity, we can't remain silent. Your reaction? Um, Number one, uh, I agree. Uh, We need to stand up when we see uh, acts of violence and acts of hate. Um, I will say that my concern, though, is that Uh, Sometimes in this political discourse, particularly from the left, those of us like Dr. King and many others who simply hold to biblical truths are considered hate mongers and that we're using hate speech. And so it makes me concerned when I hear the president and those um, 
that are on the far left that try to use these terms of hate uh, when in reality they sometimes are talking about people like you and me and some of the other uh, major denominations. I think that we uh, would agree with the president that we want to stand against that, but I am careful to note that uh, there are agents that he allies with that uh, tend to look at us and call us hate mongers and want to seek uh, retribution against us simply for believing in biblical Christianity. And I think that that is where the rubber meets the road. And i um, happy to uh, engage with the president and with the Justice Department on any of many of these issues. But we know that there are organizations uh, that he's connected with uh, even the, the Southern, Southern Poverty Law Center is one of those for which this event was done. Uh, they have listed many, uh, churches and, uh, even FRC in that category. And so we'll continue to push back on how they define hate, but, uh, certainly willing to work with anybody. As, uh, the great Frederick Douglass said, he says, we'll work with anybody to do right and nobody to do wrong. And so I look forward for the opportunity for uh, FRC and other organizations working together in a spirit of bipartisanship to stand really against these acts of hate. But let's make sure that we define what that hate really is. Dean Nelson, thank you for your incredible leadership on this and so many issues. And we're honored to have you this evening on Washington Watch. Thank you. Amen. Thanks so much. God bless you. God bless you as well. And everyone, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch. Let me remind you, Romans 12, 21, we are instructed not to be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's our mission. That's what we'll continue to do. Have a great evening. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 